Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Good afternoon and welcome to another stunning edition of Plank of the Week and I'm delighted to say that we are back in the TV studio here at News UK. We haven't been able to film from here for a few weeks so the podcast has been audio only but I'm very happy to say that we are now back in the land of television and in the land of video and I'm also delighted to say that we have got two stalwarts of Plank of the Week here this week. Uh, I'm Mr Andre Walker uh, who is of course now uh, the proud owner of his own talk radio show at the weekend and Alex Phillips, uh, a talk radio regular, uh, also columnist now for the Daily Telegraph. Alex, former MEP for the Brexit Party. Welcome to both of you. Uh, who's going to be your first nomination? My first nomination is going to be the Mayor of Seattle. Yeah, excellent. Well, we've had the Mayor of London a few times, so tell us why the Mayor of Seattle. Well, basically, for those people who haven't been keeping up with events the other side of the Atlantic, Antifa have established this autonomous zone they're calling CHAZ because it's the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. They are trying to overturn law enforcement in the area. They are actually, this is what's so ironic, they've established borders. So they're determining who's allowed in and out. And they've put a list of demands up for people who want to help their cause, which reads a bit like a teenager's camping holiday. You know, they need lighters, cigarette papers, Gatorade, uh, blankets sleeping bags yeah no doubt you know all, all those the lovely trimmings of um anti-fascism yeah but um yeah basically the mayor of seattle turned around and said oh well you know it's all fine it's the summer of love that oh is my literally God. what she said and just dismissed it causing donald trump to say no come on i'm gonna have to get the national guard to take a hold of this because if you suddenly allow these sort of hard left organizations to actively take over parts of cities and declare them autonomous zones i mean you know how, how much further can we regress from that so well, well it does seem mad and also have, have i not read andre that there's been several crimes committed in this zone uh, which of course have not actually been sorted out because there are no police there well, I went to Copenhagen to Christiania, which is the well-known hippie commune, which has declared itself independent of everything for a few years. And what you said is absolutely right. The first thing that happens is everyone just starts smoking cannabis. Not a great deal gets done. And it's, sort of, it's, all, it's all a great deal of fun. I'm not admitting that I did anything when I was there, but it's all a great deal of fun. But actually, there is a serious message behind all of this, isn't there? Which is that these people don't believe in democracy. They don't accept the rule of law. And what they want to do is kind of bypass all of it. Classic plankery. 
Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, I had um, a guy uh, called uh, Gary McFarlane on the show last week who was from Black Lives Matter. It turns out he was also from the Socialist Worker Party and he gave me this long screed of his kind of belief systems, which were basically to do away with the police, give the money that the police get to the community. I'm not quite sure what that actually means. Um, and he then went on to tell a great story about how racism existed in this country and how two young black men were attacked by a load of Coventry football thugs um, and they were kind of painted into a corner and punches and kicks were raining down on them. Um, but they were saved from being killed uh, by the police. Um, and he then, even as he told the story, realised that he dropped himself quite far into the plankish uh, area. And he then Mike. said uh, that they wanted to do away with the voting system and basically nobody would vote Tory anymore uh, because they'd change it so that, that could never happen. Mike, I'll tell you my favourite. <laughs> I was watching a documentary about the rap star Dr Dre. Oh, yeah. and because of the threat to his life, because of this inexplicable East Coast, West Coast rap dispute, mm. he, um, you know, he, he didn't do any concerts. And, you know, he went to do this concert and the police had shut the freeway, every entrance, and he went in this motorcade and the police searched every single person that went into the concert other than him with airport-style security. And he got on stage going, F the police. <laughs> and right. I thought, you massive hypocrites. <laughs> it's taken about 500 of them to keep you alive. Yeah, I know. It is bizarre, isn't it? That's a good nomination, though. Uh, Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, may make an appearance later. But, uh, Andre, who's your first one? Right. I cannot believe that this isn't the stupidest thing she's ever done in her life. It's the second. Uh, Fiona Onasanya, the former MP for Peterborough, remember her, went to prison and then did that bizarre video in front of the New York uh, skyline explaining herself. Well, she didn't really explain herself. She has said, get this, Coco Pops are racist. Yes, and I saw that. And the reason for contacting Kellogg's is to say that Coco Pops are advertised by a monkey whereas Rice Krispies are advertised by three little boys who are white. Right. Now, let me point out a couple of things. First of all, Cocoa Pops have a white chocolate version, which is also advertised by the monkey, and Rice Krispies have a chocolate version, which is advertised by the three little boys. But if you weren't sure whether this is blankery, let me tell you this. They're not three little boys. They're three elves. So all the products by Kellogg's are advertised by fictional characters, the monkey and the elves <laughs> advertised. And my question to, to her is this, and I don't want to labour the racism point, but did she really think that little white boys had pointy ears? Just a question mark on that. Yeah, there really is. That is quite remarkable how far this has kind of spread. I am going to go uh, to, to, to the same theme. I mean, we've seen basically the... Uh, the pulling of shows, the Faulty Towers episode uh, that involved Don't Mention the War was pulled and then reinstated. I am now beginning to wonder if it was a massive stunt by UK TV just to tell everybody that actually Faulty Towers uh, is on our platform and you can watch it because it's now returned uh, with some form of uh, apology for some offensive material which may be found inside of the actual uh, episode. But I'm going to go with David Walliams this time because uh, Little Britain was also pulled from the uh, ITV, uh, sorry, the BBC iPlayer on the basis that it was... Uh, you know, crude racial stereotypes. Now, I think anyone who's ever watched Little Britain, and I don't just say this as somebody, uh, you know, who's somehow engaged in white privilege, found it fairly funny. Now, it might well be that you'd look at that. And people have said recently, you'd never get away with that now and all this kind of thing. But listen, if the BBC wished to pull it for reasons of sensitivity, again, I totally understand why they would do that, because they are the BBC after all, and they're all about not offending anyone. Uh, although, you know, they've certainly still got some pretty offensive material on the BBC channels, if you 
go and look for it. But what I found really cringeworthy was David Walliams um, and Matt Lucas actually apologising for what they had done. Because I thought to myself, it's all very well saying that this is uh, you know, a different time and we wouldn't do it now. But if they're really sorry, are they honestly going to give the money back? Because that's what I think they should do. If you're that sorry about what you've done in the past, why don't they give their money uh, to a charity, which is all about you know, spreading racial harmony uh, or about making life a bit more equal for people from all different communities? But to just stand around and go, we're very sorry for what we did, um, when clearly you're not, because you made an absolute fortune. David Walliams is who he is because of Little Britain. You know, that's how he became famous. What is so mental about this whole thing is Little Britain, the whole premise of that programme is parodying stereotypes in Britain. So, you know, if if it's okay to parody, parody, you know, someone in a wheelchair or someone from a council estate, whatever it might be, or the posh Tory boy, you know, whoever it is, then surely you have to have a fence for all or, you know, or or comedy for nobody. Yeah, equal opportunity Um, comedy, surely. Equal opportunity offence, yeah. I mean, you know, Andre, I find it amazing. I mean, I don't know whether this will die down. I mean, we're obviously right in the middle of sort of peak outrage at the moment. Um, My sense is that it will die down um, and that people will sort of come come to their senses in some way. And yes, of course, there will be certain things that you can't do anymore. And there will be certain comedians who will not be able to operate anymore because people are so offended, which is a a regret for me. I mean, I would rather see things which offend me, uh, which I can then decide not to watch again rather than somebody else telling me you can't see that because you might get offended well i'm quite capable of handling that but what but mike here's my question to you what is the plankery is the plankery that david williams genuinely regrets this tv no. show or is the plankery that he's been forced into it because it's just the least path of resistance well i don't think he was forced into it. i don't think he needed to apologize i mean he could have said nothing john cleese by contrast actually attacked the bbc and said look the whole point of that episode was that there's this daft guy who thinks the germans still have to be pilloried for starting a war that ended you know 50 years ago he's the plank he's the idiot you know the idea that mm. you don't let people watch him doing that and the same with the old major uh, who issues a racial epithet you know, the old major's a doddering old fool. He's, he's put up there as a doddering old fool and a representative of all that was kind of mad about a certain period of, of British history. You know, but, but, you know, that's the point. And so John Cleese quite rightly said, you know, the, the show is about satire. It's about painting people in a particular light. And I think most intelligent individuals can see that. Well, well, I was watching the, the film Trainspotting 2, yeah. which wasn't especially good. Bad luck, it's not very good. Scene. And I say this as a Catholic with no more Catholics left right. when they started singing at that loyalist <laughs> place in, in Scotland. Look, they, they were mocking. They weren't mocking Catholics. They were mocking people who were a little bit out of date on a religious dispute that ended 300 years yeah. ago. Um, but, but I'm sure one day that programme will be banned as well. I think it's all completely ludicrous. Alex. But I think, you know, the point of synthetic offence is it actually creates a hugely distracting slideshow when, in actual fact, there are real issues happening at the moment. You know, we're back to see poverty hit the UK in a massive tidal wave after lockdown. And that the people that Black Lives Matter purport to represent are going to be some of the most vulnerable. People often in insecure work who might work on the black economy, people who don't have any sort of um, formal safety net when they enter financial risk. And talking about statues and television programmes is a major sideshow. I mean, it's ridiculous Mm. that 
people are more worried that you might tune into something made 10 years ago and be so distraught, like the students of Oxford University, actually, who apparently, if they've been, you know, adversely affected by the death of George Floyd, they can um, write to the university and get some sort of, you know, mitigating circumstances, right. exemptions if they have rubbish exam results. Mm. I mean, everyone who's got a brain can see that this entire thing is ludicrous, that it's just a complete farce when real issues, major issues, the encroachments on our freedoms, you know, the, the totaling of the economy uh, are going to have major ramifications. Yes, I think that's right. Time for your second one, Alex. What do you think? What do you think? Uh, right, my second one actually goes to tea companies, which mm. is strange because I am an avid tea drinker. I love a brew. But I have been utterly disgusted by this hashtag solidarity because as somebody who has lived and worked in Africa, specifically Kenya, um, I actually happen to know a fair amount about tea. And the tea companies to turn around and say they're in solidarity with Black Lives Matter is nonsensical when they operate as neo-colonials, essentially exploiting agrarian toil on plantations in developing world countries to then sell a raw material into Europe for it to be packaged, produced and, and, and turn into profits for the West. Right. I mean, it, it's, it, it probably couldn't be further from enhancing the lives of um, the most vulnerable in the developing world and, and, and you know, black people. So well, indeed, it couldn't, it couldn't really be more of an exploitative business, could it? I mean, the tea uh, which is picked by people uh, who are very poorly paid, uh, who work very long hours and who might actually be said to be somewhat enslaved, Andre. Well, I'm not. I'm not sure that's right. I mean, I was what I was reading an old book about um, about why people moved to the mill towns during the Industrial Revolution, and actually, their lives were better than they would have been previously. I don't have a problem with the way that the tea companies operate. What I have a problem with is the way that they get they jump into politics in this way. You know, the problem that we've got here is that there are a group of people who are trying to tag the rest of us with the following thing to claim that we believe that black lives don't matter, right? That is the nonsense of all this. Mm. Now, you know, as far as I'm concerned, and I've met all, all of you, um, I, I, my understanding is that we all think that killing people for racist reasons is wrong. I mean, it'd be quite hard to find someone who doesn't agree with that. Um, but there is an attempt here to create division within society. And what you're not doing by being a tea company is supporting the anti-racist agenda. What you're doing is supporting driving a wedge into society. Mm. And actually, I yeah, genuinely think that's the racist agenda there. And actually, for cynical commercial reasons, because, of course, all these companies, even Airbnb, who, have, uh, you know, they, they profit out of turning val valuable real estate, usually in inner cities, in places where rental prices are already so high, mm. into, you know, casual lets for people yeah. to, to earn a buck or two. But the, what is so cynical about all of this is all the companies jumping on the Black Lives Matter bandwagon are doing it because they don't want a Twitter storm. They don't want to end up being boycotted. They've simply got their being on trend profit margin yeah. in their sight. It's nothing no. to do with a general heartfelt plea for equality. No. Nothing at all to do with that. No, there's an element of bullying about it all as well, which I find slightly no, distasteful, no. that, you know, if you don't agree with us, you're somehow in the wrong. Peter Hitchens actually put it very well, uh, because he, rather, as you would expect him to do, uh, was outside of... Uh, college in Oxford where they were demonstrating about Cecil Rhodes and when everybody was asked to sit down for eight minutes and 26 seconds he remained standing so there was a picture of him standing there on his own when everybody else was sitting down around him right uh, and as he described it taking the buttock 
And um, he said, you know, the trouble is they don't want to disagree with you. They literally want to cancel you. They just want to say, no, you have no right to that opinion. You have no right to be able to voice it. You have no right to basically walk around in the same, uh, breathe the same air as I do, which is entirely undemocratic and totally wrong. Mike, that's because they can't win the argument. Do you know what I've always said? Cultural Marxism came about after the fall of the Soviet Union. In 1990, it was proved that socialist economics and the socialist system of government didn't work. Now they're not trying to persuade us. What they're trying to do is ban us to force their opinions upon us. Yeah, absolutely right. Who's your number two, Andre? Well, my number two is, I think, a first for Plank of the Week, because I'm going to go for somebody who I believe is only a Plank and not more than that. And it's Andrew Banks, this 28-year-old from Stansted, Essex, who urinated close to the Keith Palmer Memorial. Now, let me just give you a piece of information. I'm not claiming that I was a friend of his, but um, I drank in the same bar in the House of Commons as Keith Palmer. I met him a number of times. He was a great guy, a really nice bloke. Obviously, he had served his country in two ways, both in the military and then in P Division of the Met, Mm. the Parliamentary Guard. I am not. I do not want his memorial denigrated. So I think it's right that Banks was convicted. But to claim that he is as bad as the people that are tearing down statues and attacking police in the street, I think is disgusting. Yes. So he's a plank, but he's only a plank. I mean, he is an idiot in the sense that uh, he claimed that he had drunk something like 24 pints, I think, the night before, which even as someone as a seasoned drinker as I am, uh, found quite not remarkable. Even- not even William Hague could do that. Well, exactly right. And and he then found himself in London, apparently. He didn't know why he was in London, but he'd gone with a load of his mates. And then, I mean, it's like the ultimate sort of um, hangover part 45, isn't it? Where he wakes up and suddenly his dad's going, what were you doing peeing on that memorial, you complete idiot? We- and he made him give himself up. And you're absolutely right. But the amount of vitriol um, surrounding the, the difference between peeing on a memorial and peeing near a memorial, I mean, he clearly didn't even know the memorial was there. It's that no. he was that he was that drunk. Yeah. And, and also, and I'm I, sorry, I, I'm, I'm saying this as somebody who knew Keith Palmer. It's it's all about it's all about intent. So first of all, he did wrong. But the, the intent was not to denigrate a memorial or a statue. That is not the same as people who've spat in police officers' faces, beaten them up and and attempted to destroy and deface memorials illegally. Mm. Alex? Essentially, I think a lot of this has been sort of willfully contrived because it's essential that the British public are given some sort of outlet for their frustrations and their disgust. And it's essential that that person is not on the Black Lives Matter side of the argument. Um, And look, as somebody who I absolutely abhor public urination. I hate it. It's one of my pet peeves. I think it's so revolting when you see men spill out of pubs and literally just go round the corner into mm. an alley to pee behind a skit when there's toilets in the pubs. But on another on another level, you could say that, you know, the UK has said, right, okay, you can gather but only outside. So people are hanging out in public parks and they've closed all public toilets. Mm. Um, so actually the sort of, you know, alfresco defecation and urination has actually become the blight of lockdown Britain. Mm. And I agree entirely with you, Andre. You know, the man is a plank. He's revolting. I mean, that's gross. Don't pee anywhere, let alone next to a memorial, you utter thug. Mm. But does that make him the devil incarnate? No, it doesn't. And I think we need a bit of perspective on this, like you said. Yes, I think the sooner they open the pubs for real and get people actually out and about doing normal stuff, the less we'll see of this kind of behaviour as well. So I think people, I mean, I think there are some genuine truths to the fact that much of this kind of craziness and 
demonstrating and protesting has been done because people have got nothing to do. They've literally done nothing for, for three months and they suddenly see an opportunity to go for a bit of a bundle down in London uh, from whichever side they come. And it's just unfortunately uh, come at just that right, that just at that time. But let's hope we've seen the last of it. My, my second one is going to be Willie Walsh. Um, the uh, airline chief, the man that runs BA along with Alex Cruz. Uh, BA, of course, no longer British Airways run, uh, no longer British owned. It's now owned by IAG, which is a Spanish company with quite a bit of help from Qatar, about 25% of their company owned by Qatar. They have used, I would say, rather disgracefully, public money, furlough money, uh, to basically undermine their entire staff. Now, this week on Monday, they were due to fire everyone. Now, because of the furore that's been created by members of staff of British Airways, many of whom have worked there for 20, 30 years, you know, basically, they've, they've tried to restructure their staffing arrangements. Now, you may know people who work at Heathrow, Andre, because you're out in that sort of neck of the woods. But basically, British Airways have got a very old-fashioned structure. You know, they've got people, pilots who have been on quite a lot of money for quite a long time. But now the new pilots that they've hired are on less money with less better conditions of work, less good holidays, all of the things that they would have expected if they joined the company 25 years ago, they don't now get. What they're trying to do is basically slimline all that down, get rid of all the people who are getting paid more money than, than the, the ones on, on less money. And then they're going to restart the company. But they're claiming that it's all down to uh, COVID-19. And it simply isn't. And they're really treating their employees badly. And there's been a massive backlash. And Willie Walsh um, doesn't really understand that while he takes multi-million pound bonuses out of the company and currently he's trying to destroy it, you know, he's doing himself and the airline a massive disservice. There is a problem at BA and I accept it. You know, the orange faced old lady that you see on the flights, who's probably quite uppity, probably a bit obnoxious, looks down on anyone who doesn't pay £20,000 for a flight. She, The terms and conditions she's on, because they're historic, are really, really extraordinary. Yeah. And consequently, and the problem that they have is they can't get rid of the bad people because they just stay on forever on those terms and conditions. But I'm sorry to say, and I say this as a solid, a solid right winger, you know, there are other people who are basically on slavery money as well. Mm. And what they do is they balance up the cost by giving new staff in cabin crew absolutely terrible terms and conditions. And so I just think that Willie Walsh is a plank because he's never got to grips fundamentally with the problem. It's all just been about cost cutting and BA needs to be all about quality. If they want to treat their staff worse than uh, Ryanair and make Michael O'Leary look like one of the greatest and most kind entrepreneurs of all time, right? Should they not be questioned about their use of the, of the, of the title British Airways? Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. 
Because I know a lot of people who were saying, you know, they used to be the world's favourite airline. They're fast becoming the airline that exploits their own workers. I don't think I want to fly with them anymore. I think we should be able to take the flag off the tail of the plane and say, thanks very much. Call yourself something else. Yeah, you know, I must admit, I do find British Airways often a national embarrassment. And I think actually, you know, if we're going to go down the subject of Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matters again. Um, weirdly, if you get on a British Airways plane to America, it's quite comfortable. It's all right. You get a half decent meal. You get a bit more space. Mm. You know, you've got people to sort of stroke your hair and fan you with palm leaves, whatever they do. You've obviously not been you in try economy. Getting on, <laughs> you try getting on a long haul flight to Africa and they basically have the monopoly over those routes. And you get the oldest aircraft. You get the most miserable air host. Is that right? You get a, you get a sort of tinfoil tub of horrible inedible chewy rice mm. and, and also they do this is you know i'm, I'm a regular traveler and everyone knows on a long-haul flight you need your booze don't you yeah I mean, that's just it stands to reason on the africa flights they hide it down the back right they don't come around with the drinks trolley oh no you have to get out go all the way to the back where the toilet cubicle is open the little curtain and say oh excuse me beg for you some mind alcohol like have, some kind of junkie you know, I'm a whiskey and diet coke and they look at you with like eyes of fury right. how dare you be asking for this when you've paid 800 quid for this terrible seat on this terrible aeroplane unbelievable to get you to nairobi yeah so yeah no i say strip them of the flag yes i, I say i say i say we'll go along with it we might start a campaign alex so give us your number three uh, nominee please my number three she's really really wound me up today is therese coffee because you have Marcus Rashford, which, OK, the man is well paid and could probably afford a few school lunches himself. But coming up with what I think is a, an extremely important campaign, saying that kids over the summer who needed to you know, benefit from free school meals uh, when they're at school, they're still going to need feeding over mm. the summer holidays. And why don't we extend that programme? And you're looking at about 1.3 million children entitled to free school meals right yeah. now. And about 200,000 kids living in abject poverty who might not even eat other than a handful of Cheerios. And I actually think that the issues that Marcus Rashford is uh, are raising are, are absolutely important and vital for us to listen to. And he's trying very hard to bend the government's ear. And I hear there's been a bit of a U-turn. But the last thing I saw on, on this on Twitter was Rashford tweeting it and tweeting to Therese Coffey, who is the Secretary of State for Work and Pensions. And, and he was saying, you know, what about families at home who can't feed their kids? who are worried about the water supply being turned off, da 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 And in a very sort of haughty, high-handed manner, she just said, oh, well, water supplies can't be switched off. And I just thought, you know, face palm, yeah. what is wrong with you? I know. Do you live in some sort of exclusive privileged universe that you really don't care about these people, that you want to pick apart somebody for not having, you know, up-to-date exact detail on what happens if you can't pay your water bill, which, frankly, Marcus Rashford's not going to be facing that crisis himself, let's be fair. Um, I mean, it, it was just to use a sort of very woke, you know, um, common parlance, these things. It was tone deaf. Yes. Um, but it wasn't just tone deaf, it was alarming. I actually think that, you know, this current crisis that we're in, MPs don't risk having their jobs taken away from them for five years. The civil service are not going to suddenly see their wages slashed or needing to go to food banks. And the government are acting as if there's this invisible underclass and focusing entirely on things like furloughing and, you know, office management and mm. space. And yet the people have been fine during lockdown are the middle classes. The most vulnerable are going to be destroyed by this when the economy is being totaled. And I think the government's reaction is uh, uh, offensive. It's abhorrent. Yeah, it's frankly. not been great, Andre, has it? In the last couple of weeks, the government's kind of slightly lost its way, I think. 
Well, funnily enough, Mike, you'll be interested in my next nomination because I think in general, children have been incredibly hard done by. Because I've said before today, you know, two million children in this country aren't getting proper schoolwork and school support. And you can bet your bottom dollar that it's not in leafy Surrey. It's not going to be in Kensington and Chelsea. It's going to be in the poorest and most disadvantaged parts of the country. And I think we've got to recognise that there's a significant danger here. And, you know, I agree with Robert Halfon, the chairman of the Education Select Committee. We need to cancel the summer holidays this year and get kids into school properly, not just because of the school meals, though I agree with what Alex has said, but also because of the education side of it. And I think we've got to recognise the people who can afford private tuition or who go to the nice leafy schools are not the problem here. It's the kids that are really being disadvantaged by everything in society mm. who've lost the lion's share of the year of this of, of, of this academic year. And the reason I say they've lost the lion's share is because this period now is the most important bit of the academic year where everything you've done previously is drawn together. And to lose that really sets you back. Yeah. Well, the thing that annoys me particularly about it, because it affects my 15-year-old, is he was meant to take his GCSEs this year, right? Now, so not only was he told in March, well, that's the end of that, we're going to cancel the exams, you're not going to have to do them, basically we're going to go into Easter holidays and you're never going to come back, because his school doesn't have a sixth form, so he was going to go to FE College right, in September. He still has to wait until August to find out whether he's got the grades that he needs to get, and they're not actually giving them exams, so they could work it out now. They could give them well, the now. Problem. They could give them now. This is your grade. If for some reason it's not right, he could take another exam in July or in August. You the know. Problem. But at the moment, he has to wait till August the twentieth until they give it to him because that's when they always give it out. It's the ridiculous. Problem. The problem you've got, Mike. The problem you've got, Mike, is that there are schools that I'm going to call low aspiration schools. Now I don't mean the kids because if you're if you're either five or eleven years old, actually you don't know necessarily you're from a disadvantaged background. Mm. It's the teachers who are low aspiration. There is an established problem in this country with projected grades in these low aspiration schools being below what the children get in their exams. Now, you know, I don't want to big you up, but if my dad was Mike Graham, I'd probably have that level of support. But if my dad, you know, is absent and my mum's on benefits, then actually I'm in a significantly worse position. Mm. And we know that they're going to, oh, sorry, I believe that they're going to be children who won't get into the sixth form college they want and won't get into the university they want because they're on predicted grades rather than the exams. And that is grossly unfair. And what Marcus Rashford's doing, I think, is attempting to, to resolve that problem. And Dr. Therese Coffey has got to get mm. on the programme here. Yeah, and also, Alex, if it, if it is something that that, uh, that Rashford starts, because this could be the beginning of something, because I think you put put your, hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, there is this inequality of uh, the people who are at the bottom rung of society who don't ever manage to get out of it yeah. because there isn't any education. And it's, it's widening. And, and one of the main reasons at the moment it's no doubt widening is because we've become a digitised online society, especially during lockdown. And look, mm. when I was growing up, I wore my brother's shell suits till I was 16. Then when I grew out of that, because I got, you know, my lady, lady bumps, started wearing my mum's old clothes. My yeah. nickname at school was Granny Fashions. <laughs> so, and, and I remember being, no, seriously, I remember being, um, you know, at university, I was teased endlessly because the computer that I used was a really old, you know, sort of Amstrad desktop that the yeah. NHS had thrown out 15 years before and my mum had salvaged right. when people were starting to get laptops. And I look back then and I think, well, actually, you know, when I was at university about 20 years ago now, um, there wasn't much in the way of internet. I still went to the library. I still, you know, took books out. Yeah. I still wrote things and, you know, printed them out and mm. on actual paper, used the good old floppy disk. Yeah. That shows my age. Um, but kids today 
especially if they're going to be doing this distance learning, need equipment. And I've heard so many stories of families in deprived areas that have one smartphone between five kids. Yeah. I mean, it can't work. This whole lockdown, oh, great, yeah, we'll do education remotely. Is, you know, it, it, it only works if you've got a piece of equipment mm. and bandwidth and space and time and, you know, for every single child in that household yeah. to, to connect simultaneously. And I, yeah, and, I, and I don't think that I would be in favour of giving people free stuff because, you know, I don't think that's the way to do it either. But equally, if you've got kids who aren't able to do it online, then get them into the school because the schools are open. You know, let's get them in. And if they need tu extra tuition, let's let them have that structure and let them have that opportunity. <laughs> This is where the unions themselves pander to middle class sensibilities. You know, the unions are the ones who have largely stymied the ability to go back and open schools by, first of all, they said, you know, it's always oh, dangerous for the teachers. We won't allow this. We need every single, you know, all these boxes ticked and every single condition met. When anyone else is open schools, there's not been a problem. There hasn't been any outbreak as a result of schools being open for key workers' kids. But um, at the same time, the unions are then like, well, teachers shouldn't have to do Zoom. That's a bit of, you know, it's encroachment into their private life because they're having to do online lessons and they're sitting with and oh they shouldn't have the burden of assessing students if they're not having face-to-face -face. and i just think the unions need to get real yeah teachers it, teaching's a noble profession right and we stood there most thursdays clapping for the nhs and banging pots and pans well traditionally teaching is another one of those you know professions that should be celebrated because mm. it's vital for the fabric of society and for our future as a nation and and i think most teachers do care for their kids and most teachers could name every single individual kid that needs that free school meal that they'll be worried it's slipping behind, that they know it hasn't got the refuge of coming to the classroom if they, they live in an unstable household. Teachers know who those children are by name and the unions are letting them down. Mm. Andre, what's your final one? Well, look, this is absolutely perfect. And, you know, the flow of this show is amazing because I wanted to nominate Mary Boosted, who's the co-leader of the National Education Union, largely for the reasons that Alex has laid out, that, you know, the teachers, I think, are noble, decent people who want to get back to work, who believe that there is a significant problem in this country. And we have seen so many reports that this lady is far left, she's an extremist, and actually she doesn't want schools to reopen because of her own political agenda. Mm. I don't think that my nomination can be any better explained than just to refer to exactly what Alex has just said. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. But hopefully, um, although it's probably now too late for the rest of this term, if they do get rid of this two-metre rule, which it seems as though there doesn't appear to be any real evidence that makes it better than a one-metre rule, uh, they can get more kids into the classroom. And, I mean, one of the other things I'm hearing is that some teachers have so enjoyed being on furlough uh, that many of them have now started privately educating people and doing seminars and, and all sorts of tutorials for people. So they're making sort of double bubble. I'm not saying all of them are, but I'm sure a few of them are. Certainly, I mean, I had a tutor for, for my son for his maths GCSE, um, who's a retired teacher. But during this period, I bet you there's a big demand for people to ask teachers to give their kids a bit of extra tuition. I watched a programme, uh, and I know this doesn't sound strictly relevant, but I'll explain what it is. It, it was a programme for GIs coming over to Britain in 1941 to explain how it was different between Britain and America. Mm. And they had a bit on that where there was an old teacher there, you know, with this traditional mortarboard and whatever, and the children were, were ridiculing him for being out of date. And they were calling him Mr. Chips. And the American walks up to him and said, why are you being called Mr. Chips? And the guy said, because I'm a retired teacher, because all of the teachers have had to go to fight. Hmm. You know, during that national crisis, the people who were retired did get back in there and, and people pulled together. I'd like to see that. And Mary Boosted is the antipathy of that. And that's yes. why I think she's a blank.
Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Well, my final one, and I'm sorry to introduce his name again because he won it last week and has won it many times this year. He was plank of the month in February. Uh, he is, of course, the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. The problem for Sadiq Khan is he doesn't seem to know that the Queen has two birthdays. She has her real birthday on April the 21st uh, when she was 94, and she has her second birthday, which is an official birthday, uh, where the, the country sort of celebrates the fact that she's the Queen. Uh, and that's always in June. And they have the Trooping of the Colour, which she unfortunately wasn't able to attend this year for the first time because of the whole lockdown scenario. But he actually put out a tweet and I'm fairly certain he puts out his own tweets because if he doesn't, he dictates them to somebody uh, in order for them to look as if they've come from his lips, as it were. He puts out a tweet saying, happy 95th birthday, your majesty. Now, apart from the fact that I'm quite surprised he used that language, because it's not the kind of language you expect from Sadiq Khan, because he loves to please his kind of lefty audience by saying, your majesty, he's already looking like some kind of supplicant, you know. But one, she's not 95. Two, it's not her birthday in that way. And he later had to delete the tweet, which is always, for anyone who has to do that, a bit of an embarrassment. So uh, Sadiq Khan, definitely, for me, my favourite plank of the week again. Oh, well, Sadiq is the gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? I mean, he just he's just like a little tiny one man strutting PR machine that always <laughs> just blows up wrong. You know, he he just reads it wrong every single time. And it's like him launching this commission for reassessing every street name and statue yes. and all the rest of it in London. I'm like, great. How much is that going to cost? How mm. much time is that going to waste? How much is that actually going to heal the divisions right. that we have in our society? Or just frankly pee people off right i mean the man is just atrocious i can't even look at him without getting angry so you know layer upon layer of whole wheat plankery well listen you can imagine andre you know back in sort of november of this year when they have the second or this 22nd meeting of the statues and street names commission inside of city hall uh, and next up on the agenda you know at rosecroft avenue which happens to be the place I was born uh, in North London. Uh, well, we can't call it that anymore. Why is that? Uh, well, I object to the use of the word rose uh, because obviously it has some kind of connotation with a flower uh, which was once associated with the Labour Party and therefore we can't possibly have that. Croft, you know, is obviously a similar uh, a problem. It's a name for a, a home in, in northern Scotland where people live when they haven't got any electricity. You know, you could go on forever and they could be a meeting forever discussing how one particular name offends somebody somewhere in London. I thought I thought Saturday was a tale of two halves, wasn't it? Because whilst we on the one hand, we didn't have a proper trooping of the colour. The Queen couldn't attend a proper trooping of the colour. But the Welsh Guards put something together in two weeks because trooping of the colour really is our national day. It's not mm. really the Queen's official birthday. No. It's our national day. We don't have an Independence Day. Um, uh, they put that together. They've done a huge amount of work on coronavirus testing. I know it's not been perfect. That's the government's fault. But what the troops have done has been absolutely exemplary. And I always compare their level of public service to somebody like Sadiq Khan. You know, Sadiq Khan is always interested in what gets him votes. He's always interested in division. He'll love this Black Lives Matter thing because it drives a wedge between people and galvanises votes for him. And then we look at what goes on in Windsor with the Queen and her statement over coronavirus, which I thought was the performance of her career. And then and then you see the Welsh Guards also do, attempting to do a national mm. day. Sadiq Khan can't even be bothered working out the details because he's not interested in the details. What he's interested in is a few cheap media hits in order to get re-elected. And the sad thing is that unless we work hard, Sadiq Khan's going to continue his plankery forever. Yeah, I'm afraid, certainly uh, for the next four years. We're going to end up with multiple Sadiq streets around London, no doubt. <laughs> well, I assume as part of the statue sort of, uh, you know, uh, 
guide to the new London, there'll be at least one statue of Sadiq Khan somewhere. You know, it won't be very big, mind you, but that's another story. I suppose we shouldn't say that. <laughs> now, uh, we know what we do now. We have to get down from our nine now that we have down to, to three. So, Andre, why don't you pick uh, the favourite of Alex's three choices? Do you want to tell him what they were? Yeah, so um, opening uh, proceedings, we had the mayor of Seattle calling um, Chaz, the autonomous zone, uh, a summer of love. Uh, we had the tea companies for their hypocrisy in going after the hashtag solidarity. And then finally, Therese Coffee for essentially calling Marcus Rashford out in probably the most tone-deaf response mm. to a plea to Alex, this is a Alex, this is a real tough one. Real tough one between <laughs> Therese Coffee and the mayor of Seattle. But I actually think that the big problem we've got at the moment is lawlessness, not ignorant politicians. So I'm going to go with the mayor of Seattle. Okay, that's a good choice. Uh, well, I'm now going to pick from your three, uh, I guess, um, Andre. So tell us what your three were. So, look, and I'm going to push one hard here. So I went for Mary Boosted from the Teaching Union. I also mentioned mentioned Andrew Banks because he's a plank, but only a plank. And then Fiona Onasanya, uh, the convicted criminal who says Coco Pops are racist. Come on, Mike. Yeah, that is also that is also tough, really. I think I'm going to go partly because I have a personal grudge to bear against some of these teaching unions because, you know, they won't let some of my children go back to school. I'm going to go with her. So I'm going to go with your teaching union, boss. Um, Alex, oh. time for you. Don't worry. Everybody else still remains in the top 10, as anybody okay. knows who knows this story. They won't disappear. They won't be off the list. They just won't be in the top three. Uh, Sadiq Khan, David Walliams and Willie Walsh. Alex. Do you know, I, I've got to put Sadiq back in there. I mean, really, Walsh is just, uh, he's, he's not so much of a plank. It's just a grim, horrible, mm. you know, exploitative businessman. Yes. Um, whereas Sadiq Khan just offends me so much. Mm. <laughs> Everything he He does have a remarkable, uh, he has a remarkable sort of longevity and um, uh, ability to just keep getting himself into the top three. And if he doesn't win yeah, it. Yeah, because he's a, he's, he's a total tool. He really, he's an he really is. absolute tool. He, he wants to foster division. Mm. And yeah, sooner he's gone, the better. Well, unfortunately, that won't be for a while. So that gives us so that gives us Sadiq Khan, the head of the teaching union. What's her name again? Mary Boosted. Mary Beasted. Um, boosted. Boosted. <laughs> beasted. Boosted. Whatever. Stay with beasted. Mike, stay with beasted. <laughs> I prefer Mary. it. Mary Beasted. We'll Mary stick beasted. with that. Mary Beasted. And um, and what was yours? The Mayor of Seattle. We haven't even said her name. She's called Jenny Durkin, for Jenny, anyone who cares. Jenny Durkin, um, OK. Well, we'll need nope. to put that in the list. So we need to lose one of these now to have the final battle of the two planks of the week. So I would say, partly because it's so far away, the mayor of Seattle drops out to number three. That would be my suggestion. But, you know... Sorry for that. I'm I mean, you, well, you, you know. can argue the case and see if you can get Andre to agree with you. Well, no, I just think look, Andre did agree because he said lawlessness is the biggest problem. Okay. And I think if we have these sort of um, autonomous zones popping up in America with nothing being done, it's a matter of time before mm. we get one in, you know, Islington or right. something. So I, I actually do think we look, we import all of this synthetic yeah. offence, BLM. Right. And, well, know, let's leave it. Let's leave it to Andre then, America. because he can decide that in that case, you can either go with uh, kicking her out or keeping her in, in which case you'll have no, to I'm kick out do. somebody else. In, in our autonomous zone. I'm going to say, let's put Sadiq Khan third because we, we've heard from him so much recently. Right. And I reckon we put we put the mayor of Seattle second and Mary Boosted first because mayor of Seattle is about lawlessness and Mary Boosted is about lack of support for our children. I think that's a fair list. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, actually. I think we can find probably some commonality there. 
Yeah, no, I think that's perfect. I mean, let's get the kids educated, get the kids back in school and destroy autonomous zones, apart from this one. We'll call this the anti-woke autonomous zone. This is an autonomous zone right? because there is no lawlessness here because we're all fine, upstanding members of society. Well, there's already... Well, most of there's us already, are. There's already a virtual sovereign part of this building, which is the Independent Republic yes, of Mike Graham. very so, true. So, you know, you are a bit of a hypocrite on this. <laughs> Listen, it's a very law-abiding area, though. There's nothing in there which you would doubt was in any way uh, against the law. Anyway, guys, thank you very much. Alex Phillips, Andre Walker, we'll see you on uh, Talk Radio soon. I dare say we'll see you on Talk Radio soon as well. Uh, the plank of the week uh, is indeed the head of the teaching union. What's her name again? Mary Beasted. Mary Beasted. There you go. Plank of the week. Well done. <laughs>